Okay, so I want to introduce you to everyone okay. listening and watching just because of the profound impact you've had on my life. By being a person who is in the corporate world, but is also playing with life and using creativity to appreciate life and to take advantage of the little moments of life. And by doing all that, you've shattered some of the beliefs that I've had. Mm. And I get a real joy in that it's possible to live a life that is true to you, true to yourself, that your soul can appreciate and be 44 years old and be 54 and be 64 and be 94. And I'd seen pockets in different people in my life, mm. but you're the first person who showed me that creativity and the inner kid in you doesn't have to ever die. And wow. so for that, I, I really want to take an, a minute to acknowledge you and thank you for the impact you've had on my life. Thank you, brother. That's, that's a fucking crazy way to start this, but I can't tell you how much I appreciate hearing that. It's the, the best part about that is the first thing that popped in my head as you were saying that is I'm so glad I was dumb enough to, to do all of this. And that includes just seeing the things that I see, right? We've got a lot of the, a lot of things that I've quote figured out or that people think I've figured out over time is just because I was just kind of haphazardly floating to a certain extent, working my ass off, but you can haphazardly float and work your ass off. And that type of approach just seemed to work. And so, but thank you, man. It's, um, this whole thing has been a trip to say the absolute least. And to sit here and have a conversation with you um, as a kind of full circle moment is absolutely sensational. What is this whole thing to you? Oh, Jesus. Uh, how do I even? It is opportunity to be more of myself in a broader scale. It is something that is a feels like lightning in a bottle to a certain extent, right? Especially because I'm 44. You're, how old are you? 26. Okay, cool. So you are not even, if we're in parallel worlds, you haven't even gotten married. You haven't even met your wife yet, okay? I'm 17 years married now and have been in a very corporate environment for quite some time. You don't know, obviously you don't know what's going to happen in life in general. To have this and for at my age to feel like what I'm expressing and how I feel and what I see and trying to capture the things that pop into my head and how quickly can I get them out is A, just really, really, really fun. B is it's just this nuts experience where it's like, this has always been who I am. And if nothing else, it's like, okay, cool. So now there's a large group of people that have known me for uh, some for a year, some for two years, some for over two years now, depending on how far back you go. And the, the sense of I had that idea, I saw that thing and I put it out there and it got well-received and it got well-received by an audience that grows, which even feels weird to say out loud. Like I stammer over a lot of this when I say things where it's like, oh, there's actually an audience and there's people that see this. Like the whole thing is just fucking nuts. Um, but holy shit, is it fun? Because it feels like 
to a certain extent, it feels like you just were writing songs in the corner for a long ass time. And then like all of a sudden a couple of people showed up and like threw a couple of nickels in the, in the jar. And then all of a sudden there's like a larger group sitting around and you're like, the fuck, this is, this is amazing. Like you, you're cool. You like this. This is, this is, this is fun. And if nothing else, it like continues to evolve to a space where I want it to become even more and more real. Uh, because for a multitude of reasons, some of which, because I still have a corporate job, I feel like there's a lot that I could be discussing that I can't yet. So I don't know. I don't know where it's all coming from to a certain extent, and I don't know where it's going, but the best part is about trying to wrap your head around that is that true to what I have been saying from day one, since y'all met me, so to speak, is if you just do the best with what you have in front of you, that that's really all that you can do. But especially if you look that look at that in the micro, right? So literally walking in here, somebody stopped me on the street and said, hi, which is so, so dope. And I'm always like the one that kind of gets flabbergasted. I'm like, you, I mean, I'm sure this, you've kind of know the sensation where you're like, oh, cool. How, how do you know me? Even like depend, <laughs> doesn't matter how many times it happened. You're like, how do you know me? Um, and she, this woman said, I just graduated. I was kind of scared about going into the corporate world. You helped me realize that I just have to do the, the best with what I have. And I was like, it's, it's true, but it's, it can get even more fun the more you break it down because right now it's just this conversation and it's literally just this question. And if I can do the best that I can to not be super fucking long-winded, which I've already been answering just this one question, then I can deal with whatever the next question is when it comes. And it, that's just, and it just kind of keeps going and going and going. And I think the more, and I think that's why it's super important to just be nice and say hi and, you know, doesn't matter where the fuck you are, or what you're doing, just appreciate and make the most of it, whatever the, whatever it is. Well, for the record, I would enjoy and appreciate you being super long-winded because <laughs> I could literally listen to you speak forever. But, you know, when you, you said before about how it's, it's like you've been playing songs and now it's like the world is watching your songs. Mm -hmm. What was the first instance of what was your first song like when you look back? What, when you think about, oh, what, were my, what was my first album that I was making alone? What do you think of? Uh, wow. It could either be mixtapes on the third floor of my parents' house. And when I would take the tape recorder and go to the TV and queue up a part of a movie to get a certain line to be able to put into the tape, to be able to like bridge two songs or to have this like random quote pop up out of nowhere. And that was that, I guess that was kind of like the infancy of creating, so to speak. I mean, I've always, I've always been, I'm pausing on saying I've always been a writer because I don't, I don't think that that's true, or at least the way that it sounds. I've always enjoyed writing. That's a much easier way to put it. And I've read some of the shit that my mom still has of like third grade. I'm like, well, I was a fucking weird kid. Like, this is really, really, really like random. Um, stories of things that go from like very vague references to World War II stuff and like what I would have done if I was part of World War II. My, grand my, gra <laughs> my grandfather was in World War II. And... And so there were like elements that I'm like, 
where the fuck did this come from? In third grade? In third grade. Wow. And then there were also things where I'm just being very descriptive about my friends and my surroundings and what my day was like. And I read it and I'm like, oh my God, I really have not changed since I was like seven or eight years old. Wow. Um, and so I guess mixtapes would be a beginning. I think there's also elements too of like the the visualization of of what you see in your head and then kind of what you want your surroundings to look like. And that would be... That would go to also that same room in my parents' house. And instead of doing homework, going through guitar magazines and hockey magazines and cutting out my favorite pictures and just making collages. I mean, shit that all kids do. And then I guess when I was in college, I took a film course. And there wasn't too much like individual creation. I did this one piece. (laughs) It It was called Roast Beef. And it was about like a weird date that like ends up and you've no idea what the hell's going on throughout the date, except for like there might have been some sort of sexual interaction. And then at the end, it kind of like awkwardly cut awkwardly cuts to me and my friend in the bed. And it's like it, it just it's so weird and bizarre. It's just like, oh, this would be kind of like a surprise shock ending. It was like, you know, basically a seven minute long, terrible TikTok from 25 years ago. No, 20 years ago, I guess, at this point. Um, but more recently, I guess it would be protein bar reviews at first when I was doing those extensively on Instagram. And then I got bored and felt weird that people were kind of like judging me for it. Yeah. I want to talk about that. People judging you about you had these protein reviews and Mm -hmm. someone comments like, are you losing your mind or something along those lines? And it's just because they don't understand the platform or you they believe you don't understand the platform and then you do the same thing on TikTok and it yeah. and it's well received. Talk to me about how that feels because I've seen and heard you brush it off mm-hmm. in a couple of other episodes in doing research for this. What did that feel like in the moment? Probably 2019, if I had to guess. Uh yeah. It was, or tw- yeah, it was like, uh, yeah, something in that ballpark. The first of all, good I mean, doing research on just that whole concept of like what kind of homework you might have had to do and the things you might have come across. Um, it was, it was, we, there was actually the very specific instance outside of the protein bar reviews that was using one of the first filters on Instagram. And I was going on my morning walks and I was using, they had one that had like basically like the blinders for being asleep. And I pretended like I was sleepwalking and I had multiple people that day were like, are you okay, man? Like you're doing some pretty weird stuff on Instagram and I remember thinking that's weird that was weird that was boring as hell like that was the <laughs> first thing that came to mind that was like the most obvious thing to do if I'm out by myself at that hour and it's dark out and this filter exists and I'm going to be putting something up on Instagram stories like it, that seemed like a no brain it wants to be weird like we can get fucking weird if you want to get weird <laughs> and it's just kind of like and I've had this It's it's come up since then and it comes up in different ways but I just remember being like oh, this is so boring. Like, this is just lame. Like, I don't want to have that conversation at all. I would rather have somebody judge me in a different way than, I don't know. It was just, there was something that was kind of deflating about it. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Deflating about feeling misunderstood. Yeah. For your own creativity. Totally. Totally. What do you do? What do you do in that situation? Where do you go when you feel misunderstood? Mm -hmm. And saying to yourself, I'm just being me. Mm-hmm. Because the situation you dealt with is something kids deal with in yeah. school and high school, college. 
where they're just being them, yep. but the rest of the world doesn't understand. Yeah. So what advice would you have for that person who feels misunderstood by just being themselves? Do, do one more. Don't, don't let yourself off the hook. And this is a, this, I'm so glad you asked this question because this comes to mind a lot for me, even to this day, where it's like, I, I can't tell you how many times I've made it to the delete account page on TikTok and been like, just walk away, right? 44, full-time corporate job. There's no good reason for me to actually be doing this in the first place, let alone doing it on such a consistent basis and doing it so openly. Like, it doesn't make sense. I'm not, I'm not monetizing this. I have no plans to monetize this. I made some swag just for fun to kind of like see what happened. And, but to anybody that feels misunderstood, just do, just do one more. It's okay. Like, not everybody is supposed to understand you. But if you can learn about yourself and if you can shut that out, and especially if you can do so, that's why I'm so impressed by people like yourself and like Andrew, that you're able to have that realization, at least seemingly so from the outside, because you're going to learn about yourself and the rest of it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Because if you can be comfortable, especially if you feel the most important part is if you feel like you are not being a bad human being by doing it, and by being a bad human being, I'm talking about like terrible shit about saying derogatory things or having things that might incite violence or talking about things that are going to get other people addicted to heart, like really bad shit. If you are not doing that, you are okay. And you are allowed to do one more and you a thousand percent should do one more and do not, to not give up because it's what's in your head. And you got to let it out and you'll learn. And it can be painful. It can be really, really, really tough, but it's worth it. So to push back on that, you mm -hmm. didn't do one more when you said, I'm going to stop posting yeah, yeah. on Instagram. Yep. So and what what you do to do one more when that happened? Um, I, I remember I kind of like blew up on, blew up meaning like I somewhat word vomited into TikTok stories or sorry, in the Instagram stories about like, you know, these are things that I've been told recently. And one of it was how much time are you spending doing this stuff? And I remember doing the math and I like specifically wrote out the math and re in response and basically said, okay, if that's the amount of time that I'm getting back to myself now, because I'm going to stop doing this because of the comments, let's see what else I can do with that time. And part of that I actually used to uh, read a series of books called How to Be More Human at Work. So in a weird way, it kind of I, I was going to read those books anyways, but it was kind of like a, all right, so this is, and I was also trying to be a bit, and, and it, it's almost like I never stopped doing one more because just doing that was actually one more to a certain extent. Mm. And then certainly getting TikTok, it was, I just found a different place to do one more. And I also was able to somewhat make a point and it's, it's clumsy too, right? Like I'm, I fumble through, I'm fumbling through all of this and I'm happy to mm -hmm. because there's nothing, creativity shouldn't be polished in my humble opinion. Even if you're polishing a vase or whatever, unless it's coming off of a factory floor, there's no such thing as perfect. So just like get it to a place where you're comfortable with, let people digest it for how they're going to digest it because they're going to judge it regardless and then do one more. Your, 
you're full of quotes. <laughs> like creativity shouldn't be polished is beautiful. And I've uh, going through your videos, going through previous podcasts, I have so many quotes from you where I have to say to myself, hold on, what did you just say? And write it down and got a couple here that I'd love to talk to you about. Um, you know, we were, we were briefly touching on details and how much you're obsessed with details. And one is, I love the details about everything. Mm-hmm. It's so simple. Yeah. But it really describes you and I think could help people understand you a little bit better because well, I think what makes your video so unique is that you can take something mundane, mm-hmm. quote unquote, and turn it into something to be wonder, to have wonder about and to be excited about. And like just a, a brief example is this of this was me listening to you on a podcast where you're talking about doing some Harvard class and you were so excited mm-hmm. and there was such joy in your voice and going to Harvard's pretty cool and taking classes at there is pretty cool. But the way you were talking about this was something like, huh, I've never thought about life that way. Mm. And so you love the details and everything. Fuck like yeah. talk to me about that and how that came to be and how you realized that about yourself. I'm just so fascinated with all of those nuances. Like we could pick the most random fucking thing in this room <laughs> and there would be something to discuss. I don't know if these plants, are these plants real? They're fake? Okay, yeah. So I could be, I'm super curious now, like what factory did they come from? Who designed them? What do those meetings look like? Who sits in those meetings? Who reviews the design? Who is like, you know what? That part of the leaf is a little too green. (laughs) That happened. All of that shit happened that led to that plant getting made and getting shipped here and going to a store. And then the decision that was made at some point that was like, yo, we need plants. Let's get fake or real. Let's get fake. The real ones would be a pain in the ass. And then they picked this ones. And they were like, did they did did you sit around and have a conversation about like we need this type of width for a leaf? Dude, how tall can it be? Too tall, you know? Oh, they're they're it's on back order. What are we gonna do now? Were like, you always like this? Is this something that you grew up with? That voice in your head, or is this something you've developed? And if you have developed it, how have you gone about developing it? I think it's always been a voice in my head, but the the longer I've been around, the more it gets developed because the more I learn, my curiosity leads me to places that leads to more curiosity. So my curiosity about whether or not that was real or fake then led to questions in my head about where did they get them? Were there specific decisions that needed to be, or specific elements that needed to be kept in mind to actually get this one? And then I start to, and then as I've grown up and spent more time in the business world, then I start to bring in the business aspect of it. Oh, really curious what their PL looks like. Is that a profitable company? Is this their only product? Do they specialize in plastics? Who knows? Maybe it's some famous ass company and this is just like the one random fake plant that they make. Right. So it's like you get. I can get deeper into the wormhole because I've realized as if you let your curiosity run wild like that, you're going to dig deeper and you're going to find answers along the way. And it literally just becomes even more fun to explore in that regard. And that I think that that leads to really interesting ideas that can be helpful, both from a creativity perspective and from a business perspective, Mm. because you might learn in that conversation Wow, holy shit, they paid $32 per plant. I wonder what the overhead is. 
does cost 50 cents to make. What's the re- is most people, holy fuck, this is like a really profitable thing. And there's this one company that has 60% market share and blah, blah, blah. And, and especially as like, I've developed more of that and spent more time as a legitimate executive in the business world. That adds in like this whole other fun aspect to it where if nothing else, I can, it can be annoying and especially to people. And I, I feel bad for my wife sometimes where she's like, you know, we'll say, Hey, hand me a pair of chopsticks. And I'm like, I wonder where these came. She's like, just <laughs> turn it off for right, one yeah, second. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's when you're talking, two things pop into my head. One is that you were an only child. And I wonder how much of this is attributed to that mm-hmm. of like making friends with the voice in your head. Yep. And the other is New York City and being brought up in here where there's so many different combinations of things where you're saying to yourself, wow, how is this the way it is? And what do you think of those two things being reasons for your creativity or inspiring your creativity, being an only child and being a New Yorker? Definitely big variables. One thing that has to get layered into that is the type of stuff that my mom exposed me to at an early age. Mm. My mom is a, she will call herself an old hippie. She was an airline stewardess when she met my dad and is, you know, she's got twice as many good quotes as I have. And she was cool enough. And some people might think that this is insane, especially if there's any super conservative, not from a, political perspective, but just from like an upbringing perspective, people that would listen to this. But she was like, I've got like six or seven years old. And I've kind of done this to my daughter to a certain extent too. She would have me watch Woody Allen movies, like old school Woody Allen movies, like Sleeper. Sleeper is a fucking weird movie. If you haven't seen Sleeper, and I know you haven't based off what we were discussing earlier, it's maybe 1979 or so. And Woody Allen goes into a hospital in Greenwich Village for like getting his appendix out or something and he wakes up 50 years in the future and it's just this very surreal setting but like it's kind of like a kooky you know that weren't it wasn't fucking star wars right so like the futuristic version was kind of like cheesy and straightforward and there's this like blob of jello that he can't it's like a self-expanding meal that he's like beating with a and i remember being like this is this is amazing like i like this from a creativity perspective is just outstanding Woody Allen, Cheech and Chong, like I've, <laughs> I look back, I'm like, how old was I when I saw Up in Smoke? I don't know, but it was not, it was not uh, terribly old. So her layer, and she was an artist too, like she actually studied art um, and is now later in her life, interestingly, and it didn't even pop in my head until I just said that, later in her life post really raising me because it was really after I w- uh, was in when I was in high school, she really started to kind of double down on being an artist and is shown in a, you know, in the few galleries on a reoccurring basis every year. So her perspective and her creativity mixed with the surroundings. And I think just the interesting elements of my dad was one of eight. So that family scene of a big Italian family that was inherently in New York city. And my grandfather who ran one of the first uh, delivery service businesses here in the city out of Grand Central. It was like, oh, we can make a business out of people running around the city on bikes and on foot with those old ass yellow envelopes that used to be kind of like the thing that that's like how things would get passed around. Um, 
I would just, it's, it's the whole environment, but yeah, I mean, being, being an only kid and being in New York city certainly played a huge role, but I would say it's overall it's environment in totality. Well, when you describe your parents, it almost seems like you've turned into a perfect mix of both where you have the creativity on TikTok and videos and just your mind running wild and writing. And then you have, you're working a corporate job, which mm -hmm. we haven't even discussed or talked about, but that's your full-time thing and what you spend 12 to 14 hours a day on. Yeah. And it just, it boggles the mind when you think of like, how much time is there in a day? And you obviously wake up at 4.02 a.m. That helps, but good golly, it's it's crazy what you're doing in a good way. It's 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 really fun right now. It's really fun right now. It's It's allowed me to see what's possible even more mm. because it is about time and it's about how you're using your time. And there's definitely days where you're exhausted for sure, but um, why not? And I just keep going back to those basics. Just do one more and be present and make the most of that singular micro moment that you're in and then be on to the next thing. And I think for anybody that's watched my stuff, I, my hope is that if nothing else, you understand as long as you've watched more than one, because I've seen people that have watched one and were like, that sounds fucking miserable. And I've had people ask me, they're like, are you actually happy? If I go through when I've, when I've done like a full walkthrough of like get up at 402 and they, they, they look at it and they're like, the rigor just sounds maddening and I get it. But I think if you're able to thread together a day that you're like, that's I'm, I'm cool with, I'm cool with that. Can I do that again? Can I do that again a little bit better? Um, it's been fun. Yeah, I think that it probably looks intimidating to people who haven't seen the pieces get built over time. Yeah. Similar to like an Olympic athlete where you're looking at their schedule or their training and you're like, how is that person doing right. that? But they've built it slowly over time. Right. So I think that's what a lot of people are reacting to. It's like you're, you're working on an Olympic athlete for you. And that's really cool to witness. It, it's the one biggest piece of that that I hope people take away, especially for those that are your age, younger. I mean, I guess it doesn't matter what age, but especially for those that are just like getting started is, A, as I like to say, you're not going to come across anybody that's actually better than you. Mm. It's just different. Like, so don't be intimidated. Uh, and B, that it doesn't, like, I'm not a super smart dude. I'm really not. But... I just, you know, and look, there's a lot of things too from like a privilege perspective, right? Like I'm, I'm not, I'm fully aware of like what white privilege has meant for my upbringing, what growing up in a relatively affluent area means for my upbringing and all those types of things. So I'm like, that's like, that's there, that's on the table. I'm fully aware of that, but you got to do the work, right? Mm. And if nothing else, that you don't have to be super smart but if you're curious and you're nice and you do the work and it's why it seems boring as shit. And a lot of times I'm like, Christ, I've turned into one of those old people. That's just like, well, just be, you know, be nice, work hard and have fun and everything. You know, it's like, Oh, that's fucking. So sometimes too, where all these conversations with my wife, where she'd be like, she doesn't like it when I curse in, in my TikToks, even though she's got the most foul mouth, which is the irony in it. Um, and she'll give me a hard time. And I'm like, but that's, that's how I talk. And to a certain extent too, it's, I don't, A, I try to not put any type of filter on myself, 
And B, I don't want to be unrelatable because I'm just saying things that could come across as cliche. Mm -hmm. And if nothing else, the reason why I try to share as much as I do is I want people to be really comfortable with me as a human being because I feel like the only thing that I can sell is trust. Mm. And because I really appreciate the opportunity to sell people trust. And if they trust me, then they know that it's going to be that I'm going to make mistakes and that's okay. And I'm not going to say everything perfectly and that's also okay. And I want them to trust me. And for some reason that the vision of walking down Henry Street at the time that I do and I bump into Noel, my man in the morning, I want people to feel like they could come on that walk or that they're there on that walk. And I'll happily discuss anything that they want to. And that that's arguably the most important part in all of this is just making people comfortable. Um, because I want them to see, ultimately, I want them to see the, the most opportunity in themselves. Right. And if so, people can watch and they're like, cool, that looks like fun. They're like, good. And the, literally, the only thing I've pinned on my page is, Anything I can do, you can do better. There's nothing special about me except no, you. Yeah, there isn't. That's your quote. There isn't. There's no, There's nothing special. There's nothing special about me except for you, the viewer, whoever's whoever might be watching this or listening, because you're the one that sees something special. It takes it takes you. It takes you. It takes whomever to see something special. If you don't like that plan, if you don't like the Mona Lisa, if you don't like whatever then who gives a fuck what other people think, right? I'm, j I'm doing what I'm going to do. You're the one that actually brings the magic because you have decided that for some reason this clicks. Mm. And if I'm fortunate enough to be on the other side of that, that is fucking amazing and incredibly special. But it's not me. It's you that have decided to be able to see this in something or somebody else. What do you think it is about your realness about your perspective on life that resonates with people on such a deep level? I don't, my initial reaction is I don't know because there's still, because I've been, I, I'm still shocked. I'm like, how many of these have I made now? How long have I been doing this? What is going on? Like, didn't I just download this yesterday? The fuck happened? Like I opened up and there's, those are the numbers that have like, what in God's name? Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I've always tried to be approachable. I was that kid in high school that if I couldn't hang my hat on anything other than I could get along with every click, certainly had my own group of close friends, but if I could get along with every click to a certain degree, and if they were just kind of cool with me and cool with my presence, that's all I wrote. That was, wasn't, you know, C student across the board, played sports, but you know, nothing, and I'm pleased with what I was able to make of it, but like nothing super special. You and were the captain and you did have some interaction with Mike Smith, the I, Calgary that, goalie. That, so that's, uh, that is certainly, that is my, don't sell yourself short that, on the athletic that, front. That is my, that is my claim to fame, but like, and you know, but you know, that's a, those, those are, those are fun, those are fun stories, but um, I distinctly remember being like, Oh, this is cool. I, mean, I literally remember sitting in the cafeteria and looking around and being like, "I'm, I'm kind of, I'm cool with everybody here." Mm. And I really, I felt like I brought nothing else to the table other than being nice. And I had to hang my hat on that. 
and you know if people see that now that's fucking fantastic why did your mom say to you that you were more than a number uh great question i'm so glad you asked that because she knew how frustrated i was she knew how disappointed i was in myself when grades would come out and even though she rightfully was like fuck you doing like you're smarter than this she saw the mental she was so far ahead of her time from a what we talk about now in regards to mental health and awareness she would literally give me mental health days i you know never heard anybody else say something like that before and especially until the past handful of years when it's become more prevalent thank god she would she would say at times she'd be like, "Do you need a mental health day today? Do you want to stay home from school? Do you need a mental health day?" Wow, got chills. It's it was you know we're talking early '90s and again pro, you know probably not truly record setting but pretty progressive for a parent back then, and she she understood that I cared. She understood that I was smart, and she didn't. I think ultimately if I had to guess and if she was here right now and would answer the question, I think she would say something like, I didn't want him to not understand what he could do or to feel right. Cause it's very natural. You, even if you're, you know, you're not doing your best at something when it finally comes to the surface, you're probably going to feel deflated right now. It's a conversation. What's wrong. Why aren't you doing this? I'm disappointed in you. And that was always like my Achilles heel. If I was disappointing people or letting them down, like I would just fucking crumble. I think that's why when everything except for school, because school never clicked and everything else, I just worked my ass off or I tried to be nice and lean into that. So I think that she wanted to make sure that I would never get too depressed about that. Mm. And I can't tell you how thankful I am because it, it obviously resonated at the time. But especially recently, and the more questions I get, because most dudes my age are not being this reflective on a consistent basis because they don't have to be. Mm. I don't have to be either, but I'm getting the questions and I'm like, you know, you start to see people like, well, what were you like when you were a teenager? I'm like, fucking lie. When was the last time somebody asked me that question? People that know me from back then just know me and they're, but otherwise, like, these are things you don't discuss. And I'm, I'm thinking of that and when it came up, those are the things that I hope get kind of passed forward, so to speak. I know that I will instill that in my daughter, but those are, those are things that I hope others can take from and be like, fuck, that makes all the sense in the world. It sounds like you had a loving mother, loving family growing up. And I find that I did as well. And that's such an advantage in life. And you know, in the back of your head, you're loved and you were loved as a child and how deep that goes and how appreciative you are for that. And you take that into every situation. But what do you tell people or how do you help instill that same love your mom had for you to other people who didn't have it growing up? And what advice do you have for them to navigate through wor the world? Another great question. Uh, really hard one because it's, I try to always assume that I don't, that I could never do as good in somebody else's shoes, Right. I don't, I don't know somebody else's, and that helps with benefit of the doubt on a consistent basis. I don't know what you've been through, so I should not judge shit that you do. I don't care if you cut me off in traffic. I'm that asshole that's like, that might be the first time that person has ever cut anybody off in traffic. I don't know. So like, yes, might I be pissed in the moment, but I try to 
internalize that as much as humanly possible to understand that we've all done that, whether we did it on purpose or not on purpose. Are we bad people? Well, I don't know the person in that car other than what I may be able to see. So in a similar sense for so for people and I and I I get uncomfortable in the space a little bit because to your to your point, like I don't I don't know what that is like firsthand. But what I will say is that you can I believe that those can turn those that have been through that can turn it into a superpower. Because if you can have experienced that and digest it and have turned things in a different direction for yourself, for your family, for your situation, that's a fucking superpower. That's overcoming something. That is overcoming one of the arguably one of the larger obstacles that could be put out there. Hmm. Not having the type of care and understanding that I believe all humans deserve from an upbringing perspective. If you don't, if you did, if you did not have that as part of your world, and you can understand that and still move past it, and still be able to understand that, okay, I I cannot control a lot of that situation that was thrust on me, but I can control what I'm like when I walk into the store and I buy a bag of chips and I say, hey, what's up, man? And maybe I've got a smile and I say, have a good day. Like if you're able to do that and you're able to thread that through your life, then you can, I think that those people can turn it into a superpower. You bring up attitude right there. And one quote that I tweeted last night when I was researching you and was attitude is a skill because it's something you can control. Yeah. Sat there for a second, like, wow, <laughs> like that's, that's deep, that's heavy and that's so real. When did that come to you and what does that mean exactly? I, I think it was, it's somewhat paraphrased by a guy named Seth Godin, who's a marketing dude. Genius. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So, and a human yeah. genius as well. Yes, exactly. Seth Godin, everyone check him out. Yeah, He's yeah. been writing every day for the past 15 years. Yeah. Uh, and really smart stuff, especially if you're into marketing whatsoever. So worth digesting what he does and what his perspective is on things. And I've always believed that how you interact with others is obviously ultimately your brand. And I've always felt that your interactions can evolve over time in a very smart way if you're cognizant of it. And I was always so perplexed by people that were successful and that were still shitty people. Hmm. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. I can't tell you how many times I sat in meetings and I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? I'm like, I have a general sense of what some of the people in this room make. How the fuck are you behaving like this? This is maniacal. And then it kind of hit me one day as I would continue, because I would, I would not allow myself to not try to figure that out. Like, how do I crack the code on what is happening here? And I would go in the same kind of rabbit hole as I did about the plant. What's their commute like? What's it like at home? Is this somewhat of a bubble situation where they're like, bubble in this suburb, come to the city, but they really only go into Midtown. And is it like, is it exposure? Are you, were you raised a certain way? Like I do not, I just, I couldn't, I could never wrap my head around what makes it excusable to be a shitty person that's in a good situation. And then I, then like, 
slowly but surely, and especially after reading some some stuff by Seth Godin, I was like, oh, it's not, that's not a soft skill in that regard. Like that is something where if you actually try and you're cognizant of your behaviors and the impact that they can have, that that shit is arguably the most powerful thing that you that you can control and that you should be cognizant of. And especially somebody that runs, yeah, 240 people on my team. I'm fully aware, and maybe because I saw the bad side of it, how I say good morning can change in someone's entire week. For and, better or worse. And that's true whether you have 240 people you're managing or right. not. That's right. the crazy part. Right. But especially given your situation. Well, and 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 to your point, the people that are that are nice and kind that would never even have to think about that, that's just inherently who they are. To me, that's like there's just something that's so dope about that because it's like you don't have to be this way and you might have a lot of reasons to not be this way, but you've chosen to be this way. And whether those people realize it or not, I think that there's something that they have worked on to find their own place in happiness along those lines. But especially if you're somebody that is like, okay, these are the things that I want to do and I want to build and whether it's in a corporate space or whether it's your own entrepreneurial thing. If you realize that your attitude is a skill, my God, is that powerful? Not only for your own happiness, but for you to control your your circumstances and the general situation that you might have. The just the reverberating impact that can have on the people around you is remarkable. And your own ideas, the way that you can sell them to people, the way that you can build on things, the way that you can get alignment between people that may not see eye to eye, it's um arguably one of the greatest things that we have at our disposal is our attitude and it is a thousand percent of skill and those that can wrap their head around that especially if you're somebody that's like fuck i don't know what to do with my career work on that and just keep showing up and you're gonna be fine how do you maintain or promote or be kind when you're suffering uh, I don't think you have a choice, at least in my, in my humble opinion, I don't think you have a choice. Um, there's no, I don't know, for, for me, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing else that can, it doesn't do any good to, for me, it doesn't do any good to not be. I feel like it's wasted time then. I know some people can't see it that way but if if you got shit going on you're you're probably only exacerbating things by not being nice it's not going to change anything i don't know there's a lot of this shit that i haven't figured out too so as i say some of these things i'm like do i know that to be true some of the things i say they've said a lot i'm like i know that to be fucking fact hands down yeah there's some things i'm like this is how I feel, but I don't, I don't know it to be a thousand percent true, but, um, I don't know. Uh, life is too short and shit is really, really, in my humble opinion, things are really, really, really boring when you're not. nice. Hmm. So for you is kindness a way to make life more exciting? A thousand percent. I've never thought of that as oh a God. way to be or. 
I've never thought that kindness and exciting link together, but when reflecting, yeah. they definitely do. If you pay for someone's coffee, yeah. it lights them up, which excites you. Yeah. But kindness really does make the world a more exciting place. So yeah. when did when did that realization occur to you? It just always been part of your DNA? No, I, I think it was just in the, the this makes me that made me think of my brain darts all over the place, as I know a lot of people do. I thought of being, I don't know, like 13 years old when I was a caddy and some of the conversations in the caddy shack with other people and people that were from, you know, different backgrounds, different walks of life. And just, you know, like if you showed up and you had an extra bacon, egg and cheese and it was like, I knew that person was going to be there early too. And the way that that could just make everyday interactions, which is going to sound cliche until I explain it a bit better, makes every inter day interactions better. It's how my relationship with Noel got started. Simply by being nice enough to say good morning and to give a shit and then eventually stop for like a very small question about weather or whatever that now has flourished into a dude that like I, knows my man, knows such a good dude. And I have a lot of people, there's one guy who I see every day when I walk home and every day I'm like, fuck, I have to leave the office earlier because I don't know this guy's name, but we say goodnight to each other every single night. He's like the, he's like my PM Noel to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah, and like, he's, he's just, he's a good, he's a good dude. He works at, he works on 50, 51st street. And he, he's a security guard at a building. And he was one of the only people that was still there during the pandemic. And I'd never stopped going to the office. And we'd always just like nod at each other. Um, and it's just like a super small act of kindness that has no major implications on anything other than I have to turn, regardless of how shitty the day was or if I'm running for the train or I'm late, it's like, it's a little bit of, it's just a little bit of joy. And I think that, that that leads to excitement overall, just about life. And then like you have this interesting cast of characters and then you're truly in a movie, regardless of where you are, what's going on. Um, and that shit's fun. How much of your life feels like the Truman Show? Uh <laughs> I mean, I'm somewhat thrusting that on myself now, but there's a lot of things that I that happen that I'm like, this shit sounds made up. <laughs> and some stories like what? too. There's some stories too that like I I I'm like, I can't believe that that. I mean, kind of all of it to a certain extent. Right, my dad's job. Super weird that he worked with Howard for as long as he did. Mm. My mom being a airline stewardess turned artist kind of the general circumstances of growing up in the, I don't know. There's just, there are, there are aspects of it that are Truman show esque, And that's more the reality of today because I'm documenting so much. And then there's aspects of it that are very, that feel very Wes Anderson. That's it the, the like, track, the background track for a lot of yeah, the TikTok. Yeah. So like what is Wes Anderson for somebody who doesn't know it all? So, so Wes Anderson is a writer and director. He's done movies like Rushmore. He's done movies like The Royal Tenenbaums, probably his two most infamous. And Rushmore I saw about seven times in the theater because I was just enamored by the plot and the dialogue and how interesting it was. And I related so much to the main character who was a shitty student 
but just had all of these extracurricular activities going on. And you could tell that there was something in him that was special, but he was so clumsy about it that it was like made him adorable in a interesting way where you felt bad for him, but at the same time you appreciated what he brought to the table. And I just, I felt a connection to him as a character to a large extent. And I love how Wes Anderson crafts these worlds in really simple ways. Everything from the way that he handles color palettes that have this very distinct impact on the entirety of the film, the way that he over-dramatizes things, but it's still very true to life. (laughs) There's a scene in Rushmore where, have you seen Rushmore? No, I haven't seen any movies. Really, you're true to like not being movie guy at all. I'm totally useless on movies. What's Grand, up? Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh no, haven't. So I, I'm, I'm glad you said that out loud. I made my daughter watch that. I didn't make. She said she was. Oh Jesus, she was like two or three years old. It's a weird. It's a weird ass movie for to be put in front of a kid that age. But it's brilliant and it's beautiful and it's so well written. Um, and his his stuff is just is so good that. But there's also aspects of it too where, so you've seen Rushmore? Yeah, so like there's aspects of it too where like there's characters in that, at least for me, that I'm like, okay, there's like little bits of pieces that I know from other people to a certain extent. So like it, there's a relatable sense to it. And so from a Wes Anderson perspective, it's it it feels falsified in my head sometimes that like I'm sitting in the 50th floor or the 40th floor of this building on 50th street in midtown Manhattan. There's a hawk that flies outside my window. Like that shit doesn't feel real, but like a couple times a week, there's a fucking huge hawk that <laughs> just like flies outside my window. And my, you know, some people find my office space to be a bit eccentric too. Um, so there's, there's just elements of it that are like West, somewhere between Wes Anderson and the Truman show. Um, and I'm not quite sure what to do about it other than just exist. Yeah. Well, I'm curious about what that does. And I feel like in order to fully understand you, I need to go back and watch all the movies that have impacted you and then get back to you and have questions just about that. Because I'm sure we could do another podcast on that. But, you know, one thing that comes up in your comments a lot is, oh, this is the Casey Neistat of TikTok. Mm, yeah. And... It's interesting looking back on Casey Neistat from present day where he's not vlogging anymore at the rate that he was. And he noticed the impact that vlogging his life had on his family, himself. And I'm thinking to myself, how much of this is Tim currently going through, if at all? Could be a completely different guy, different situation. But how much does documenting your life in the way that you do change your life for better or for worse i i actually think it has made things more enjoyable i am so much i've seen comments too and the whole casey nicer reference thing is is very interesting i knew his name and i swear to god i didn't know i was familiar with his snowboarding video when he snowboards through the streets in new york after a blizzard and that was kind of it and it started to pop up i'm like i've heard this name before and i started to look him up i'm like that's Seems like a super huge compliment. Uh, thank you. Appreciate that. And then I watched some of his stuff. I'm like, I actually kind of don't get it because he does a lot of face-to-camera stuff while he'll talk to the camera. I do almost none of that these, these days. And I feel like when I do, 
I'm terrible or it takes me too long. There's too many takes. Like I'm just not good. I love conversations like this, but I can't, I'm too awkward. Like I, I'm so impressed with, again, our friend Andrew and the fact that you can walk around and do that stuff. Like I just, I don't know, for some reason I, I can't. And, but to, to do it all the time, it's, it's allowed me to appreciate things even more. It doesn't feel like an obligation ever. If nothing else, it's a, it's a consistent opportunity to look at things differently because I want to take a different angle of that same shot that you've seen 15 times over. I want to push myself a little bit to see how thoughtful I can be about that mundane thing and how quickly can I express that and get it out so that it actually makes sense. Because once it goes, once like the moment happens and then it's passed, it doesn't feel as good to me anymore. And then I feel like I'm kind of faking that story about the plant. Like if I tried to tell the plant story later on, I'd be like, what the fuck was I like? Where's my head at? So it has to be like super quick. And to have now as much footage of my daughter and my wife and some of our experiences and to be thoughtful enough now of, I don't want to interrupt the moment, but I can set it up before the moment happens. Like, I know that I'm going to walk in the door now. So like, let me, it's not like, hey, babe, I'm coming in the house. Like, can you do this, this, or this? Like, that's not the way it goes. It is all two second clips in the moment. And if I can be thoughtful, and it's actually, it's made me more present. I've been more aware of aesthetics in general. I probably slouch less, though I'm sure I'm slouching through this entire thing. <laughs> because I'm like, I'll see you know, time lapse of me at my desk. And I'm like, fuck, man, I slouch a lot. So I feel like there's things that have actually been, and I've seen, I've, I've heard of what you describe relative to Casey and him saying like, he would tell his friends, hey, unless there's something interesting happened, like I can't do this, this, or this. I feel extraordinarily lucky in that I find it all to be interesting to begin with. And if other people are good with it, cool. And that's probably also the reason why he had, what, you know, tens of millions of people following him. Look, 450,000 people is a lot of people, but 450,000 people is not several million, right? So at the same time, I, I also get the fact that he was, from what I understand, and I could be dead wrong here because I just don't know a lot about his content other than some of the stuff I've seen on the periphery since people started making that comment, is that it was crafted and that there was a purpose and that he grew an audience and he turned it into a business. I'm just a dumbass that likes doing this and if other people have fun with it too, cool. But like, I don't, and especially because I have a job, I don't have to make that my job. And that's, that actually, other than the stress that I put on myself to make, to continue to do it regardless, because I hate missing days. I hate missing days when I don't make something. Other than that, it's, it's actually added a lot of joy. Mm. Yeah, I think, oh, so much on that. One thing is that, the reason why I think people say Casey Neistat to you and draw that comparison is because there is a connection you get from the viewer's perspective that feels like they know you. Mm -hmm. And I, I've never felt that as much as when I was watching Casey Neistat. And I've never felt that as much when I was watching you. It's just like, oh, like I'm your friend, mm -hmm. even though you're not, even though it's just, uh, I've never met you until, you know, but that's one part of it. And then the other part is like, I think you are, you're less willing to create 
something false. I think Casey was more willing to create a story mm-hmm. and you're more documenting what actually is. Yeah. And I think that will lead to more longevity of your creative pursuits because you're not disagreeing with the moment. You're not creating or manufacturing a moment. You're just letting the moment be. Mm-hmm. And there's something magical about that. I appreciate you saying that. I mean, I, I it's funny too because I'm so awkward in all of this as well. You feel that way? I feel so awkward. In Why? It. Liter- so literally just right now, for anybody that's watching, you'll see that I changed my seating position. I noticed that. Time. Because I was, as we're having this conversation in the back of my head, I'm like, is your back hurt? Are you slumping? Is it on the side with where you got feel like you got the crooked tooth? Like, do I if I sit up and I cross my legs, is that weird? So I just I freeze. Yeah. Right. And so I, I am I am consistently uncomfortable. A lot of that has to do with the judgment you feel other people have about you. And it feels like that it's so interesting that somebody who presents their life to the world would have those judgments about themselves, about what other people perceive yeah. about them. Yeah. It's, well, because when I, when I have to watch things back, I make myself cringe with just about every single thing I put up. Why? <laughs> because it's, for me, it is so, it's so weird to be doing this in the first place to a certain extent. It's like, why am I doing this? Why am I telling all these people all of these things? Right, it'd be very, very, very easy for me to just to a have either never have done this, or to just have stopped at some point. You said it earlier, like twelve, fourteen hour days for work, just for work, and then I put this on top of it, and and I feel uncomfortable about it, but there's just something that is fun that I don't and really, I mean, I have no idea how long I can or would or should do any of this for, and I have no idea where it's going. But it's been really fucking fun and it's led to conversations like this and some really magical moments and some really, really, really fun friendships too. But it doesn't mean that I'm not uncomfortable in my own skin. Huh. I mean, I'm, I'm, I could, the list is long, my friend. The list is super long about things that I am uncomfortable about in my own skin to this day in this moment. But there's only so much I can control about that now. And especially at the age that I'm at, I don't, I don't want that to stop me from making the most of those micro opportunities again. Right. Because to your point, like it's, it's, it's largely self-perceived, but, um, what am I going to do? I'll just be goofy and awkward and people are cool with it or they're not. (laughs) It's, it's so fascinating to me because I feel like, Doing this podcast is a result of being more comfortable in my own skin Mm -hmm. and more willing to put myself out there and more willing to just own who I am. Mm -hmm. And it seems like you are very, you feel like that as well. You're, you feel like you're comfortable in your own skin. That's how it looks, Mm -hmm. but you're telling me you're not. And that's, that's just fascinating. I, I mean, the shots walking down the street where I hold the phone out, so goofy. Every single time, I feel so, so goofy. But I know, but I am able to understand too, and I, this was a mental barrier that I got over and for anybody that wants to make content at scale, like this is something I think you need to wrap your head around. It's a hell of a lot easier when you control 
the camera, the actor, the script, the audio. If you control all of it, it's a hell of a lot easier. And so it's like I'm directing myself for the scene to a certain extent where it's like, I don't really want to walk across 7th Avenue right now and hold my phone out. It just feels weird and I see other people looking at me and I'm like the opposite of Andrew in that regard where he's like, fuck everyone else. I'm like, this feels so dumb. And but Andrew Murnane for yeah. those paying attention at home. But but I know but I know it makes for a more interesting shot. And I yeah. want people to feel like they could be walking to lunch with me as well. Um, but it doesn't mean that I have to be entirely comfortable with. And there's some times too where I'm like, oh, that's gonna be dope. Whether it's like you know, but but I'm also I'm okay at this point to own my my own flaws and my own inadequacies and if I'm like, yo, does it look like, you know, how how bad is my hairline getting? Like, you know, my the fucking worry lines in my forehead, like all that kind of stuff. There's only so much I can control and this is what it is. How do you think about that when parenting a nine-year-old daughter in today's day and age where you have more opinions and I think a lot of that being uncomfortable in one skin mm -hmm. comes from comparing to other people and seeing or at least looking at all the ways you could be and then being like oh I'm not that and from what I understand about the latest research on social media it's mm -hmm. like it's affected young teenage women the worst mm -hmm. because they're the most willing to compare even a study from I think uh, one one like they had a, a country which didn't have any television mm -hmm. and they put a TV in the 90s uh, in this country and they found that women became bulimic mm. from just having the TV and seeing the American women and they started comparing themselves. Now it's on steroids, it's Instagram, mm -hmm. it's everywhere. So how do you think about that when seeing and trying to help a, a young woman navigate through the world? I am so lucky to be a dad of a girl. She's, she's so much fun, and she's such a good kid. I, that scares the shit out of me, but also it's massive opportunity for me to just, if I can make her as comfortable as possible in as many situations as possible, that's, that's really, that's really, I want to say that that's all I can do. I know that that's not all I can do. But I can I can instill in her self-confidence. And self-confidence includes being okay with your flaws. That like, who gives a shit? And I can tell her the same exact thing I told you three minutes ago, which was, yeah, just because, you know, if she ever said to me, you know, you do, you did the podcast, you did this and that. It's like, but it wasn't that I wasn't sitting there being like, you know, is my, does my shirt look weird? You know, are the wrinkles in my forehead going to stand out? Like those types of things. And that's okay. Yeah. Like don't, I would, <laughs> I, I'm fortunate that I, because she's nine, not too much of that has come up yet. And the more I can just teach her that, yeah, you want to wear that today? You a thousand percent should wear that today, regardless of what it is. Hmm. Right. If she's, if she's being nice, if she's, Cognizant and self-aware in that there are other human beings around her, right? So she's not the only thing that matters in totality because I think that that's huge for kids to understand that it's not like I go around in this bubble 
and I can do whatever the fuck I want because I'm a kid. And if I scream, it doesn't matter. And like all those types of things. And that was never cool. Like, no, there's people around you. Be cognizant, be appreciative. Like the person sitting next to you doesn't want to want to hear the fucking game you're playing, you know, at volume 10. Like there's shit like that. It's like, just be, be aware of people around you, but be cool with who you are. And I'm so lucky because she's like, she, she, she's, I know that she, that she appreciates things about her already that I know that some kids and some adults would have issues with. And that is the greatest shit ever. Um, and I'm also like, I mean, I've got arguably one of the strongest women. I mean, it's hard. For me. I want to say one of the strongest women on the planet. That's like, that's my soulmate who's raising Evelyn with me. So that makes it super easy too. I'm sure that could be daunting for her, but um, Kelly is such an amazing person all around that it just makes for a fun little tribe, which makes for all the day in and day out, like documenting and storytelling that much more fun too. You mentioned your wife and I'm curious about how the role she's played in all of this and creating what you've created. She, this wouldn't exist without her for a multitude of reasons. I wouldn't be here right now if she wasn't cool about it. She took a red eye home last night and I was like, hey, I've got, I'm doing the podcast on Saturday. She's like, okay, what time are you leaving? Encouragement is the greatest drug, and I say that in a good way, for relationships. If you're fully encouraging of whoever your partner is, wife, husband, whatever, everything is possible. Because that means sacrifice. Me encouraging her to, you, you want to run a marathon at 3.30 versus four hours? That's, yeah, that's going to mean you're going to spend a shitload of time running on top of running a small business. What do I got to do? What time, what time do I need to be home on Saturday morning after I go for a long walk so that you can go for a run before you go to the gym? That's her saying to me, what time, do, what, what time are you going to be home? Let me do these other things before you get home from the podcast so you can do X, Y, and Z. Because she wants me, she wants me to, A, she's just, she's so cute. She's like, if, if I don't post anything, she's like, what happened today? So she'll give me time. She'll give me space. She'll give me feedback. She will be, she's my muse. And holy shit is all that lucky. Like not possible without her. Not possible to any regard without her. And if I did my research correct, you met her and married within seven months. Yep. And your dad says, hey, if you want to <laughs> leave right now and run away, you can. Yep. Yep. Met, met in Las Vegas. Uh, we were both there for work, working for ABC Sports at the time on the PGA Tour uh, golf series. And I was a producer. She was the new stage manager. She walked into the trailer because that's you know the tv trucks are basically in like little trailer parks next to the courses and i remember being like oh, fuck. i don't like i knew she was coming and i'd heard stories about her a little bit i'm like i i remember being like i didn't want to be attracted to her like fuck this is not this is not good like focus and you know within 48 hours was like our first date so to speak she actually asked me out that night but i was I had just flown back from Ireland and I got kind of, uh, I got fucked up in, in Dublin. <laughs> um, 
and felt like total ass that day. Uh, I'll try to make this super quick. I'm in Dublin. I don't have a very high tolerance. So I had like a pint and like a glass of whiskey and I'm kind of wasted at that point. And I was feeling sick and somebody who was from Ireland was like, oh, you got some sinus trouble. You should, you should try some snuff. You know what snuff is? No. Snuff is ground tobacco powder that is snorted. Wow. And it was like, I don't know if they still sell it in cans now, but they were selling it in tins at the bar then. Someone's like, hey, give me a thing. Here. I'm like, I snort this? Yeah. Clear you right up. I'm like, all right, one in Rome. No. Like, I felt like instant sinus infection, right? I mean, what a terrible idea to snort tobacco. Like, yeah. good God. <laughs> Next day, 13-hour flight to L.A. Before taking the jumper to, to Vegas. 13 hours with a sinus infection or like a cold along those lines. Holy cow. I felt so terrible the day that I met Kelly. And that night she calls me. She's like, hey, what are you doing tonight? And I remember so awkwardly saying... I don't feel very well. Do you want to come down to my room? Because I couldn't say, I felt bad about saying no. So my best thing was like, I, I'm not going to go out, but I'm just sitting here watching a movie. If you want to come watch a movie. And I'm sure on the other line, she was like, yo, that's a lot. It's a, just not even a little aggressive. That's super aggressive <laughs> that I called you up and you're like, hey, come to my room. Uh, next night I rallied and we went out and we tried to elope within October, November, December, January, within four months. Four months. Um, and then eventually really slowed it down and waited another 12 weeks to actually get married. Wild. And it, one thing that pops out is darkest before the dawn. Like you have this awful, awful sinus infection and then you meet the woman that you spend the rest of your life with. That's interesting. I, and another thing is like, what do you think, you said she asked you out, right? So yeah. what do you think she saw in you that made her want to ask you out on a date? I... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know. You'd have to. You'd have to ask her that question. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess. I guess she found me attracted to a certain uh, degree. I mean, that would be. Uh, I'd assume an, an obvious piece of it, but like, I don't. I, I think that she's because we we've, anytime we've been interviewed together, which I think is like maybe once or twice. I distinctly remember her saying something like i'm not quite sure there was just something about him mm. i think that's what she might say i don't know and what advice would you have for somebody on a going on a first date um don't try too hard don't set a bad precedent by trying too hard it's you're probably going to i would say the least you can try too hard the better because a you should just always be yourself as much as humanly possible and I felt like in every relationship and whether it was like a girl or whether it was work or whether it was just anything, when I tried too hard, that's when it would usually fall apart because I couldn't just let something be as it needed to be. And then I would kind of get out of my own swim lane, so to speak. And it would just start to, a chain of events would start to happen where it's like, oh, you know, shouldn't have emailed that person again. And like, oh, like maybe I shouldn't have, you know, and then you inherently start to blame yourself. And then you start to second guess like, okay, what did I do wrong? So be yourself, be okay with the fact that it's not supposed to work out with everybody. It is not supposed to work out with everybody. It is explicitly not supposed to work out with everybody. So be yourself and 
and kind of be cool with the journey too. Like I was 27 when I met Kelly. She was 22, so different story on her side to a certain degree. But I love, I love getting people to have the light bulb moment of when I was literally your age, I, I had no idea who the fuck Kelly Castro was. Did not exist in my world whatsoever. And there's so many things you could have pointed to and been like, here are things that are going to happen and be like, that makes no sense whatsoever. Hmm. And yet, you know, <laughs> you tell the story of like, hey man, in 20 years or so, like you're going to be sitting, you're going to be doing this thing called a podcast and like, fuck. There's, I've had these moments where I've thought, especially the high school version of myself, I'd be scared shitless of this version of myself. And I think part of the reason why I try to be as open and honest with everything is I would want the high school version of myself to eventually be cool with it and be like, yo, I'm still the same moron that you are. I just made some random choices along the way. And it's things are good. Things are good. You can do the job. You can you can do these. You're cool. But like I that's still that's still me. Like there are so many things, there's so many reflections that I can have where like absolutely nothing has changed. But yet at the same time, it's so crazy how much changes and what time can do. It's like you're living multiple lives. And it feels like from researching your story and talking to you, it feels like you've lived so many different lives and been accepting of each of those lives. And I think so many people turn to you for advice because you're aware of all the lives you've lived and can put yourself in the shoes of a 22-year-old. You can put yourself in the shoes of a 15-year-old. Mm -hmm. You can put yourself in the shoes of a nine-year-old. Mm -hmm. And all these people are looking at like, oh, like I relate to that because I can. he sees himself in me. Mm -hmm. So being the mentor to so many people, who do you look to as a mentor yourself? Great question. Um, I pull... I think I just pull a lot of little pieces from a lot of different places. It's hard, like, you know, it sounds cliche again, but, you know, my, my dad's solid as a rock. And, my God, is that guy been through a lot. He was a stage four melanoma survivor. And, you know, he's, he built a pretty neat little career for himself, too. And it's... I've just been really fortunate to be surrounded by a lot of good people from a lot of different types of angles. And I, I've been, and th these are the things that I say that I feel awkward saying, because it's not like I was smart enough to look at things this way. It just, it just is the way that my brain had worked. And what I was going to say is I've been fortunate enough to pull a lot of pieces from a lot of different people to kind of get mentorship at different levels from so many different angles. Like Noel, to a certain extent. Noel has, I don't, I don't know this to be, Noel has some sort of foot problem, right? He, he, he walks in a way that is distinguishable, and, I'm, and I know that he goes to the foot doctor by my, by my block, and yet the way he carries himself and his demeanor on a consistent basis, there's something mentor-esque about how I see that, and no matter what is going on, he he brings this positive demeanor to the table. Mm. And 
I am able to see, I'm so lucky in that I'm able to see that in so many people for so many different reasons. And then that means throughout the course of a day, I can be like, that's dope about that person. That's dope about that person. Like, don't want to be like that. Want to be more like that. Give me three of these, two of those. And then kind of build my own thing. And just consistently borrow. And that's another reason why I'm cool with sharing as much as I do. Even when I'm like, even when I feel weird about doing things, like I've a thousand times, I'm like, I should do what I eat in a day. Not because anybody should do exactly what I do, but that's one specific example that I think is very tangible that it's like, okay, somebody could be like, oh, I never thought of putting egg whites in my salad. And just get that tiny little piece because I did that thing. So I think from a mentorship perspective, if people can pull different flavors from all the shit that they see, like that's then you're then you're crafting something so unique for yourself that works so well for yourself. And that that has tremendous scale, that has infinite potential and scale. And you can just keep building and building and building. I love the idea of everyone being your mentor and everyone being your teacher and everyone has something, yeah. even if you don't like what that person does, it's like, well, now you Especially, know what not to do. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've, I've read this in, in one of those Harvard Business Review books about how to be more human at work. And it said, if you can take feedback and criticism from anybody, you're basically unstoppable. And it wasn't about just like, can I stand up to this? It's, why does that person think I'm a jerk? Somebody saw me in the street and was like, that's the fucking worst t-shirt ever. Really? Like, oh, no, it didn't actually happen. But like I'm saying, if that happened, I would want to be not be like, no, I wouldn't want to push back. I want to be like, that's a, my one of my favorite phrases and people at work get really annoyed by this is, tell me more about that. Just opens up the conversation to a whole nother. So if somebody's like, I think that email sucked. I don't like your shirt. I don't like you. Tell me more about that. Is it the sleeve length? It's got to be the sleeve length. Is it the collar? Is it too tight? Is it too blue? Not blue enough? Then I can learn more about that person. And even though it's something that was like supposed to be negative and offensive and something that would knock me down immediately, I can learn from that. If you can digest that concept, you literally are unstoppable because you are never going to stop learning and you're never going to come across somebody that is going to be intimidating in a way that cannot in turn fuel who you are even more and potentially even take you further because you were able to glean something in that moment. I think one of the four agreements is take nothing personal. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful, it's almost like you're a, you're a pipe for that comment to go through. And mm -hmm. it goes positive as well. Like, you really like that about me? Tell me more about that. What's yeah. going on? Yeah, like, yeah. you're not taking ownership of what other people say about you, yep. which is incredibly freeing and powerful mm -hmm. if you can develop that skill. Yep. How have you gone about developing it? And was there a point in time when if somebody said something negative to you, you internalized that or were you just always like this? I It almost comes full circle back to being inherently flawed hmm. and being like, you're totally right. This shirt is lame. I'm right. And then I would want to be like, why is this shirt lame? Why do I think it's lame? And then that slowly pivoted to, I don't think it's lame. I love this shirt. You got to like, tell me more. Like, let's have an interesting dialogue here. For a while it was, oh, fuck, you're right. And then I would go back and I would study it myself. And then I was able to slowly kind of turn that around to, I don't have to immediately think that you're right. But it also doesn't mean I have to immediately think that you're wrong either. All I have to do is be curious. 
Like, and that is not that much of a swing there, but that can change everything. So if you can at least be in a place where you can stop being defensive and you can either take ownership of, well, maybe the shirt does suck or it does not suck, but I still want to learn more. And whether you're doing that yourself or you're pulling from the other person, like that can be a massive pivot. I think it was taking this job and the fact that when I started, my initial task was to quite literally take the whole department apart and then rebuild it. So 100 people that I walked in the door and I inherited, within the first six weeks, all jobs had to be eliminated. Did you have to personally fire every single person or? I'll put it this way. I had to be the person that communicated to everybody that their jobs as they knew them were no longer going to exist. Yeah, it was fucking terrible. As a deeply empathetic person, I can only imagine how you must have felt. I I remember when I had when I brought they brought me in the Thursday before my first day. Because when I'm going through the interview process, so there's gonna be change, we're gonna do department overhaul, blah, 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 blah. But they never specifically explained what was going to happen for understandable reasons, right? They they literally brought me in the Thursday before my first day. I remember being like, look at me. I've got such a big, important job. I got to go in before my first day. Like, this is going to be cool. Big building. I'm on the 39th floor now. And man, I came from ESPN. So it was like, it was like the title and the responsibility that was had this kind of sex appeal to it. And also going through the interview process, people were like, this is going to be really hard. I'm like, don't know what that means, but sure. Okay, let's do this. They sit me down. They give me a PowerPoint deck. They walk me through it. And we're being like, wait a minute. What the fuck is happening? Walking through, they're like, by the way, we're telling the president of the company that this is happening on your second day. And then from there, you're going to have six weeks to execute the first phase. You're going to have eight months to, to rebuild it. And here's the goal. Here's a very specific set of economic uh, expectations that we have that that's going to be next year. And I remember being like, I, this might've been the worst mistake of my career. Wow. And so that going into that situation, it was, you're right. Everything is my fault. I'm a fucking shitty human being. But what I was able to live with was somebody is going to do this. If I decide I cannot do this from a moral perspective, it's still going to happen. If I decide I'm not going to do this because I cannot take it, it's still going to happen. Can I put myself in a position where I have wrapped my head around the fact that this is going to happen? This is also in the grand scheme of things, it is fucking terrible to be able to have to be in a position to tell somebody something like that and knowing the reverberating effect that it's going to have on their life. But if it is going to happen, can I do it in a smarter and more sensible way that could potentially have a different outcome than expected than somebody else? I would rather roll the dice with myself than be the shithead that has to do that and then figure out some sort of way to make it better than anybody else. And for all the things that I've had to do, especially over the last nine years that have been in that ballpark, I keep coming back to that. Can I do this with more empathy and understanding and do things that are going to have a greater impact to the best of my ability for that person or those people than somebody else? And I've always 
come back to, I better fucking try my ass off. And I know that I can be more empathetic. And I know it's going to suck and I know it's going to hurt, but it's not going to hurt as much for me as it is for that person. What can I do so smart from a business perspective that can have, that can be like an end around? And I've got some really long stories in that ballpark too. But I think all of that, going back to your question was, I always knew when I was comfortable with the fact that, and the, because of the way that job started, it was always my fault. Actually goes back to being a goalie in high school. Always my fault. Doesn't matter if it was a breakaway by the best kid in the entire state. Let it in, my fault. If I can be okay with the fact that it's always my fault, then I can be okay with the fact that I'm controlling my destiny to a certain extent. And then I can't blame other shit. And then I either figure it out and I do it in a way that will leave a good impression with people, hopefully, or I don't. And I don't like the second of those options. Goes back to also somebody cutting you off and controlling your attitude in that place. Right. It's such a superpower you have to be able to go through difficult things and have strength in it because you can choose your own reaction to it, your own response. Uh, I appreciate you saying that. I don't know that I wouldn't put it quite. I do my best to control my response, but also it gets to a place where there's some things that just have to kind of go into cruise control to a certain extent where I've built up enough elements where I don't think twice about not blaming the person that just cut me off curiosity kind of takes over to a certain extent and then and then it becomes and then it becomes easier and there's also too like from a circumstantial perspective with all the crazy shit in the world like i just have to i ha- i do not accept not being okay with where i am like i just i i can't i remember seeing i remember going to a really hard day in like 2016 2017 the war in syria was raging and there was a picture of a guy running down the street holding a girl that was about my daughter's age, covered in, covered in dust, right? Obviously, buildings floated behind them, and he literally ran for his life. New York Times caught the picture. It was on the front page that day. I'm like, I don't have to do that today. I'm going to be okay. Fuck do I have to complain about, right? I'm here. going to be okay. One thing that I think is difficult to wrap our heads around is like, okay, my life is better than so many people, right? Mm -hmm. So much of a lack of gratitude is based in lack of perspective, Mm -hmm. like zooming out. But then it comes, there are situations where that are awful to you and you can compare yourself to somebody in a different country who doesn't have running water or clean water and be like, well, I'm better than that person. But that doesn't stop the pain that you feel in this moment. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate through that, through the pain you feel in this moment when perspective won't do it justice and help get you to a better place? There's only a few circumstances like that that I think I've been through. And um, one of them is very much happening in real time right now. 
there are things that you just have to go through and you're just going to fumble your way through. It's just, it's just what happens. You know, I had to deal with it with my, when my parents got sick, um, lost a friend. And some of it feels super fucking weird for sitting here and having this conversation, but I lost a friend. Like, three? Saturday, three o'clock. So, just some things you're going to fumble through, man. You just have to be okay with it because of those circumstances that you mentioned. Right, like the awkwardness of sitting here for the past however long. And, you know, and I'm sure for anybody listening that had no context, it's pretty sure like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I did not expect this, and now we're much longer we have left. But, like, I think my friend Jeff would have been totally fine with me being here. And I'm sure right now we might be like, do get your shit together. But I don't know that. So I try to just, just try to figure it out, right? You're going to, people come across things of all fucking flavors, all kinds of super hard shit. But as long as you have an opportunity to like keep doing stuff. And just keep doing it to the best of your ability. I think that's why being nice is so fucking important. I also feel like I'm setting a record for F-bombs in this. And my wife's really going to give me a hard time for cursing too much in this, but I don't know, man. You're just, you're going to come across things. And part of me sitting here now in all of this is... Like I did, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know what to do and I still don't know what to do. I don't know how to answer that question. I don't even know how to like look up right now, but like I'm doing it and I'm talking. You just always have to decide what's best for you. And if what's best for you still includes being nice and doing the right thing in general, then that's really all you can do. I have no idea if that's answer made any sense or even ties back to your question. Well, good. Tim, it's, uh, I feel your pain. And I think that is one of your superpowers truly is being able to transmit your emotions to other people and to let them feel it. And I feel as if this is my friend who I kn I've known since third grade. And it's not, but I, I feel as if I can feel your pain. And I just want to let you know how much I appreciate you as a human being. And I can only imagine what you're going through, but I'm here for you in any way I can be. Thank you. Um, you know, he's a, he's a huge, he's a huge, he's a huge reason why I'm He, uh, literally when I moved and I started third grade, literally across the street, like I'm not even talking like across the street is in like kind of down the block. I'm talking like dead fucking door to door across the street. 
and all the weird shit and all the layers that people haven't even seen about me yet because you've only known me for like a couple of years now. And it's so funny to have the conversations with my friends that have known like my high school friends and we'll, we'll catch up on some stuff and they're like, you know, if it comes up and they're like, wait a minute, what is going on? But a huge, huge, huge piece of what people see in my sense of humor and my music taste in being comfortable to get a fuckload of tattoos starting at like age 30 or whenever I really started to get a lot. Um, goes back to growing up across the street from him and, uh, and because we were both just so just two dumbass kids doing the stuff that dumbass kids should do. He never judged me. He never, he would never, he never judged me. Mm. He just let me, uh, he just let me be whoever the fuck I was. He was, he also brought so much interesting perspective too. Some shit we would give him a hard time for, like when he got into Buddhism or asking him all kinds of crazy questions and he led a super interesting life. But he never, you give me shit as all your friends should. But um, he never judged me. And that uh, didn't really hit me until I was saying that, but holy fuck, is that a gift that you can give to a friend? Because if you really never judge him, you can still give him shit. You totally should give him shit because that's a way to express the, the details and the inadequacies that we see in each other that are that are there anyway. And you can actually become far more comfortable with your flaws when you're like, I don't care what you just said. Like my best friend has told me that 10,000 times already. So like uh, you don't even know me well enough to say that kind of thing. Um, that uh, God, is that a gift? So especially when you kind of tie that back to like kindness and that kind of stuff in general, if you can, um, if you can exist that way on a consistent basis around anybody and not judge and just be curious, it, uh, it has a really good impact. Really, really, really. You have that superpower too of not judging it comes across in the content it comes across in our conversation it's, it's not fun yeah. i can have i can have questions i can can be curious about stuff but like i can i can have perspective right i can have perspective i can judge protein bars i can judge sushi and i can but it's really not judging it's perspective yeah because if you're smart enough, you keep all the variables in mind. This piece of sushi, sushi sucks. Okay, how much did you pay for it? Where did it come from? Like, I don't know. You know, especially kind of getting older, it's like, I don't want to have those conversations are so much more interesting when you're not judging, you're not immediately coming to a conclusion. Mm. It's fun to have like light bulb moments and be like, I feel this way, I think this way, et cetera. 
but the more you can kind of harness the ability to want to dig deeper into it, it, it just, it, things become so much more fascinating. Things can become so much more in depth. You can have conversations about shit like the plant and the question that came up and, and you're so much more appreciative too, because then you're like, Oh, all of those things led up to me being like this piece of sushi sucks. (laughs) I had, uh, I remember thinking like, man, this sushi joint went downhill. Um, and a couple of times they kept showing up and I'm like, Oh, the tuna roll, like it just, it's not, it's not the same way it used to be. And I remember, and then finally I call up and I'm like, yo, the, t- the tuna roll is just like not good anymore. What's going on? You know what's going on? They thought I was such a good customer. They started putting chutoro or toro into my normal ass roll. So I was used to like the super lean stuff. And if you're no sushi, you know what I'm talking about. Otherwise you're like, Basically, they gave me the fancier version, right? I just happened to not like fatty tuna. I thought that their quality had been going downhill. They were actually trying to do me right. <laughs> That's incredible. And you right? just, it was just about you asking and being curious. And it was me, it was me, it was me calling up. And I wasn't, look, in the moment I was, I was, I was being too judgmental. Mm-hmm. I assumed that I was like, I called up to be like, what's up with this? It was oily because fatty tuna is supposed to be oily. Huh. It was like, it had a distinct different smell flavor to it i'm like the fuck they're like oh we've been we started giving you chutoro a while ago i'm like oh fuck so for everything that i've said know that every single day i'm still learning this stuff in every single aspect so i thought really hard and probably got that same order like 10 times until i was actually like had the balls to say something is not right here let me ask the question. Luckily, I'm smart enough at this point to not be a schmuck on the phone and to be like, hey, like I got a question. Hey, you might know my name. Like, is like is something that like tell me, tell me about this. But I certainly wasn't smart enough to reach that conclusion on my own. So be good with your flaws, ask questions, don't judge, give benefit of the doubt. Like some of that shit sounds super boring, but my God, it's make everything else so much more fun. What do you think that, what do you think Jeff has given you that you are embodying in this moment other than the lack of judgment or the lack of judging others? What do you think his imprint on this conversation and your life has been? Uh, First and foremost, and probably most importantly, is just being okay with my own flaws. Mm. Um, when you, when you're lucky enough to know somebody for that long, they know everything, right? So even for all the stuff that he would know about me and going back to not judging, that's, that's huge. I'm trying to think of like what he probably has not had an impression on. Hockey music art and it's so funny too because there's so many things that we were like he he loved uh fish fish to the band mm-hmm. i can't fucking stand jam bands <laughs> literally went to 100 shows wow and i went to one with him 
But I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't, I love you, dude, but I can't do this anymore. And I think the ability to get me to be more open-minded to things, because I already just loved him as much as I did, that I might have thought it was really fucking weird that he decided to move to Arizona and join what we thought was kind of like a yoga cult, but made me ask a lot of questions. Didn't make me think any less of him ever. And if that ever came to mind, because of how much time and energy had been built up to any of those points, it was like, oh, it's, it's, it's Jeff, right? Like we're, you grew up pretty close to here. Do you still, are you still friends with any of your friends from high school? Of course. There, there are ways that they know you that are different, right? Yeah. You probably don't see it quite yet in the, in the, in the full aspect. And there are rarely times that I play the uh, the old guy card, but like, especially when, when like as as things continue to develop, and as you still can kind of come back to a center base and have some of those conversations, I would have fucking crumbled the other day if me and Dante and Pat and Mike and Steve, if we weren't all there together. But in a weird way, we'd like built up to that. Like everybody played a really specific role to a certain extent. It's the craziest shit. Like you don't. I've seen a good amount. I feel like I've seen a good amount of shit. I can't. I don't know how to wrap my head around this yet. And we knew it was coming. Like mm. he's been. He'd been. He'd been sick for a while. But I just. I don't. And then what's gonna be really awkward is I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this like I'm gonna make posts about this because like I it I either stop and I go away entirely right now or it becomes part of the conversation and I don't know what to do and it's not that I it, it's not that I don't know what to do I don't know I don't know that I'm gonna be able to express it well I know people are going to judge me and variety of capacities people are probably going to judge me for sitting here with you today i don't know maybe people are like oh buddy you just passed in your fucking podcast i don't i don't know but i don't know what to do man But that's, I guess that's kind of the fun in all this shit. I, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know what to do the first time I met Kelly. I didn't know what to do the first time I went home with Evelyn. I didn't know how to handle that first day of work. I don't know what, what Monday's going to be like. I can show up in a certain way have a certain demeanor and I can have a certain perspective. That's all I can do. And the best part about saying that out loud is 
I know I know that you know. I don't know how many people are watching this or listening to this know yet. But if you if you if you have spent time in my world, then you know that all this shit has been is not new by any stretch. And to know that I can say what I just said about being like, all right, I'll, whatever Monday is going to be like, Monday's going to be like. I went to the office on Friday. I took the flight home Friday morning and went straight in the office. And because I didn't know what else to do. Like, I just, I, I didn't. Kelly was still in Oregon. I'm going to go home to go back to the house, the, to, to Jeff's house. I don't, I didn't, I, I didn't, I, I made specific plans and I just try to go through the steps as best as I can. And I rely on my friends to have good conversations about shitty stuff and to figure it out along the way. And did I make mistakes? Of course I did. You know, f- incredibly awkward it was to be at, off- to, at the office on Friday. In some moments I'm like, felt, very normal. In some moments, I'm like, the fuck am I doing here? This looks terrible. In some moments, I'm like, I don't know where else to be, so I'm just going to be here, and I'm just going to try to distract myself. And I'm sure the people in the office were like, some people just didn't know. I had to tell some people, like, hey, I have to, I have to go. I know that this is like two seconds notice, but I have to go to Charleston tomorrow. And then give context. And I'm sure because of that, there will be people that think various things. And that's okay. Because I can't control that. Um, so it just all keeps kind of coming back around full circle to I'm clumsy as fuck. I'm trying my ass off. I am who I am. I'm happy to share shit. Especially now that I'm starting to get the full understanding that perspective can be helpful. Nobody should try to mimic what I'm doing wholeheartedly. But if there are elements that are helpful and for me to be more accepting of my own clumsiness and flaws so that some people can get certain aspects out of it, then that's, then that's fantastic. Tim, you are an incredible human being. I'm incredibly grateful for you, for your ability to sit here and give your internal dialogue as it actually is without filtering it because it gives people hope that their internal dialogue is not weird. It gives people hope that whatever they're doing is the best they can and your ability to communicate that so eloquently and so consistently makes people more hopeful and more comfortable with themselves. And the fact that you could go through what you've gone through in the past week and come here today and explain it as you're going through it is a remarkable feat. And you continually astound me as a human being from watching your content to interacting with you. You're even more Tim in real life than you are in your videos, which is incredible and mind-blowing to say the least. So 
I just want to take a, another second to acknowledge you just as a human being because you're truly a remarkable one from my perspective at least. Well, um, thank you first and foremost. Um, I'm, you're, you're, the thing you said at the top, your weirdness, your inner dialogue, that's, that's your, that's your shit. That's your jam. Like, you got to be okay with that. You have to be okay with it. And the more you are, and especially if you just, if, if you're not a shitty person, then let it run wild. And by shitty person, like you have to be pretty extreme to be a shitty person in my book. Let it run wild, man. Like what you're doing, what you're building here, the more you learn and the more comfortable you are and the more you're understanding of all of the things that go in. I saw you, that was, they, they didn't see the conversation we had about the couch, but if you can repeat that over and over and over again, that's dope. And by the way, I've got a theory now. I'm just going to tease this out there um, about how to really change the world. And I figured out that it really is only going to require like five to 10,000 people. And I'm not talking about anything like, you know, hey, we're going to start some sort of like, you know, fucking army or something along Cult. those lines. Yeah, no, it's um, it's about uh, it's about reshaping corporate America over the next 20 years. Um, but that would be a whole nother hour. <laughs> Sounds like a part two is is on the way because that is one thing I wanted to talk to you about was the the champion of corporate America you are. But we'll have to get you back here to talk about it. It's a deal, man. And um, anything else you'd like to mention? Uh, wow. It's so it's those types of things where it's like you ask me straightforward or like a question that has like a specific thing to it, and then these are the moments where this 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 is what it's like to be like flawed. Hey, you, hey, any colos and comments? Uh, How deep do you want to go? With it? Right, it's like, you know that's where my brain stutters, <laughs> and I'll say I'll, I'll say this as a closing comment. Yeah, you can have all of your shit together, and you can still always fall apart if you have to decide what to eat to, for dinner by yourself. I can do. I can go through the entire array of things in a given day. And if Kelly's not home, and then all of a sudden I'll get home at like eight o'clock, I'm like, I don't, I still don't know what I'm going to do. I had, I had all day to figure this out. So I'd say that. Um, On that note, you are the most perfectly put together person who's not put together. And I mean that as an incredible compliment and, and just the truth yeah. of like how you present yourself, who you are. And I think there's something remarkably peaceful about that because that represents all of us to some extent that's so well said i think i think i think you should just cap it there and jeff eddie i love you <laughs> thank you so much tim I, I really appreciate you thanks for having me man